All right, good to see everybody tonight. If you please open your Bibles to the book of Malachi. Again, in the Minor Prophets. Um, last of the uh, Old Testament. So if you have trouble finding Matthew, which I bet we don't by this time since we've been in the Minor Prophets as long as we have reading during our services on Sunday. But if you uh, are having difficulty, you can go to Matthew, go left of Matthew. And uh, you'll find yourself in Malachi, because that's the last of the Old Testament books and found right here before the Gospel of Matthew. Um, it's my intention tonight to give us an introduction to Malachi, hence I've entitled this An Introduction to Malachi, and uh, it took a lot of hard work and thought to figure out that title, as you can tell. Um, and it, while I am initially inclined to to read first and then to share with you the um, what I have for you tonight, uh, t- tonight I actually want to flip that around. I want to give you this introductory material on the book of Malachi, and then at the end of the service, near the end of it, we're going to take the last um, 10 to 15 minutes um, to read Malachi. And I've got four men, as I've said set aside who've uh, been willing to read for us tonight. Uh, so I'd like to pray for us tonight and then get into, into the, our, our time of study. Let's pray together. Father, I come to you tonight in, with the words of the psalmist who said, deal bountifully with your servant. And Lord, I say, deal bountifully with your servants, that we may live and keep your word. Uh, Father, open our eyes, that we may see wondrous things from your law. We are strangers in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from us. Father, as we study Malachi and begin that study tonight, this little journey through this book, let us let this be true for us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in, in Malachi, we're going to get started. I do have a sermon handout for anyone who wants to take advantage of that. Uh, there may be some things that you already have in mind about Malachi and Really, that's the way you want it to be for any book that any, anyone ever asks you to turn to. Be so familiar with the Bible that you have a general idea of what's there. And I've already challenged you with knowing what's in every chapter of books. But you can really begin by being familiar with the book itself and the message of each book of the Bible and um, growing in confidence really in that. And then how when we see those things fit together... Really, from Genesis to Revelation, understanding how the story of the Bible fits together, that is a biblical theology, and that biblical theology, once we develop that in our lives, in our, in our hearts and minds as followers of God, we actually grow and become more and more confident in the Bible, in the, the message of the Scriptures. So I, I hope that as we work through Malachi or First and Second Thessalonians, 
or uh, any other book in the Bible that it's just adding a little bit more to your knowledge that over time is going to develop, uh, help us develop in, in mature believers who know and understand the Word of God. That, that's what we want. That's what my desire is. And I hope it's a desire that you have within yourself. We have seen in, on Wednesday night about Ezra who, um, let's see, what did Ezra do? He um, com- committed himself to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. So he had this desire within him to, to know the law of the Lord and then to do it. So if, you, if you, you'll follow along here, we'll go with, uh, through our notes. Malachi means messenger, means my messenger rather, means my messenger. That's what the name means. And then when you, um, the, the word messenger, rather, when we look in the book of Malachi, in chapter 3, verse 1, we find it there, but we also find it in chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 7, the word messenger is used. And in chapter 3, verse 1, the word messenger is used twice. And if you'll notice the way that that italicized word is pronounced, is um, Malachi, Malachi. So you can see why, how it's almost a transliteration. His name is a transliteration of the word Malachi. And it's uh, important to know also that as we look here at Malachi chapter 1, you'll see that the very first verse says, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. There's two other books that begin in this way, with the burden of the Lord or with the burden. And that's Nahum and Habakkuk. These two are also minor prophets. Now, Malachi was a a post-exilic prophet. Post-exilic prophet. And I'll tell you in a minute minute why um, why I'm saying that and why most of, of... Folks who have written anything about Malachi believe that he was a post-exilic prophet. But he is put into the category of other prophets who were post-exilic, and that's Haggai and Zechariah. Now, you might be asking, what in the world does post-exilic mean? Well, it's right there at the end of that second statement or that statement with Haggai and Zechariah. It means they were also prophets after the exile. All right, so you kind of got to get a time frame here. Um, when I said Malachi, one of the perhaps one of the first things that would have come to your mind as you understand the scriptures is that Malachi prophesied after the children of Israel came out of exile. They had been taken to exile for how many years? Does anybody remember how many years were they sentenced to exile in Babylon and and well, Babylon mainly? Anybody remember? 70 years. All right. Great. That was the majority of the folks in here tonight, I think, that said that. That is wonderful because we as a church want to be educated in the Bible. We want to know what it says. We want to know why it says what it says in as many ways as we can. But you're right. 70 years they were in exile in Babylon, having been carried captive there because of their sin and their rebellion against God. And we could go into much more about that, but we won't. We don't have time. So he's a post-exilic prophet. 
He is one of those prophets that God raised up after the exile to speak to the people of God. Haggai and Zechariah did so. And do you remember what book in the history books of the Old Testament these two, these two prophets show up? Does anybody remember? What, two book, or what book does Haggai and Zechariah appear in in the history books of the Old Testament? Somebody, Ezra? Somebody might, Ezra, yeah. So it was during that time frame right there. All right. Next uh, point that I'd like to share with you here is that the exact date of Malachi is not known. As you look there at chapter 1, it simply says in verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now, uh, let's, let's take another prophet for an example. Maybe uh, turn back to, um, to Micah. Go back to Micah. That would be a good example for us. Turn back in your Bible a few books to the book of Micah. <clears throat> Micah chapter 1 verse 1. Now it, it says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah, of Morsheth, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So you see right there in verse 1, and it's this way in many of the prophets, that it, he, it's like a time stamp. It tells us exactly when he prophesied. Now, you'll, you'll notice that Malachi doesn't have that. Even Haggai and Zechariah begin with a timestamp. If you'll look there at Haggai. In the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verse 1. And again, Haggai and Zechariah were post-exilic prophets. And they have these timestamps. In verse 1 of Haggai, it says, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai. So I'll stop there. So it tells us exactly when he began to prophesy. This King Darius was a, not, a, not a king of Israel or Judah, but he was a king of Persia. All right, so back to Malachi. We don't know the exact date. But the following, for the following reasons, he likely wrote or spoke during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. And here's the reasons why. All right, here are the reasons why. First of all is this, the use of the Persian word for governor that's found in 1.8, chapter 1, verse 8. This indicates the Persian influence. Now, you can't see it, or we can't see it when we read the word governor, but if you were to read this in some of the original language, then you would, it would be noted that the word for governor found in verse 8 is the Persian word for governor. Now, it's also, it could be an indication or indicator as to his post, uh, his prophesying after the exile, the very fact that they had governors, okay? If you remember Nehemiah, he was a governor. He was the governor. And before him, um, let's see, it was um, Zerubbabel was the governor, all right? So uh, before that, they didn't have governors, it was after the exile that they had governors. And it's because they were under the dominion of 
the king of Persia. So they couldn't have a king. All right, so uh, that's the first reason. Next, we'll see the temple had been rebuilt because sacrifices were being offered, as we see in chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. They were offering these sacrifices. Now, they they weren't given much credit for offering them, as we'll see in reading it, but they were offering sacrifices. And then we see uh, these. Malachi addresses issues common in Ezra and Nehemiah. Here are some of the issues that he addresses. First is this. He addresses corrupt priests. This is something that Nehemiah also dealt with in Nehemiah chapter 13. He addresses the neglect of tithes and offerings. This we see in Nehemiah chapter 13 uh, also. He addresses intermarriage with pagan wives. Pagan simply is a word that means strange. They're they're strange because they worship strange gods. Not the one true God. So they're intermarriages with pagan wives. This is something that was also dealt with in Ezra chapter 9 and Nehemiah chapter 13. And then lastly is the oppression of the poor. That is um, addressed in chapter 3, verse 5 of Malachi, but also in Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 4 through 5. Uh, so you can see these issues um, that overlap between the two. So it makes a great deal of sense that perhaps Malachi seems certain that he was a post-exilic prophet. And it seems that he was addressing some of the same things that rear their heads in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, here's a statement for you. Malachi was the last prophetic voice that would be heard for 400 years until John the Baptist comes on the scene and preaches, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Fittingly, Malachi's message ends with the promise of the coming of Elijah the prophet, as we see in chapter 4, verse 5. So, the last thing that's heard is that Elijah the prophet's coming. And then the next prophetic voice that is heard in the timeline of history from speaking from God is John the Baptist himself coming, who Jesus said, he is Elijah if you can receive it. Now, note this about this timeline, about Nehemiah, uh, Malachi prophesying during his time. Uh, Nehemiah was absent from Jerusalem from 432 to 425. You might be asking the question, well, if Nehemiah is this great governor, then why did he allow this stuff to go on? Why did he allow uh, these issues to take place? Well, it may have been because Nehemiah had left and gone back to Persia for a time. Or perhaps Malachi just prophesied after Nehemiah and Ezra were off the scene, were no longer there at all. Okay, so here's the way the structure of the, the burden goes. It goes, and, and this, is, this is not a hard and fast, but you kind of see this. You'll see this, all right? You got the, the Lord speaks to the people, of course, through Malachi, And then Israel challenges them, and then the Lord corrects. It's kind of like parents, you know, um, speaking to their children, and then the children speaks back to them argumentatively, but I, and then the Lord will correct them. 
and the or parents will <laughs> correct correct them. Uh, that'd be nice if the Lord just corrected our children every time that that happened. All right. So uh, hopefully that makes sense, and you'll see how that kind of how that kind of flows here when we're reading through it. But uh, check this out, and I found this just to be just to be incredibly interesting about Malachi. I've known it for a, w- a while. I've known this for a while about Malachi, but I've never known it to the extent that uh, I do now. When, um, when you look at the challenges that Israel poses toward the Lord, it is just over and over again. And it is indeed like that child that when you say something to them for their good, they're going to have a a rebuttal back to you. They're going to come back with something questioning you, questioning your motives, or questioning what you're asking them to do. The children of Israel were certainly like that. And I've listed all the questions for you on your handout. I'll put them up here on the screen. The first one is this. And, and again, this is how Israel questions God throughout Malachi. First one is this. They say to him, in what way have you loved us? Because he starts there in verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. And then they reply and say, yet, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? That's how they answered him. In chapter 1, verse 6, they say, in what way have, you, have we despised your name? Because God tells them that they have despised his name. But they argue back and say, in what way have we despised your name? The third thing we see is that they say in chapter 1, verse 7, in what way have we defiled you? Because the scripture says, you offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? Fourth, in chapter 2, verse 17, they say, in what way have we wearied him? Because the scripture says there, you have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? Next, I think this is the fifth one. In what way shall we return? Chapter 3, verse 7. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. And then... The Lord says to them, return to me and I will return to you. What a great promise, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? <laughs> we don't need to return. Why should, what are you talking about, God? And then in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? Chapter 3, verse 8. And then in 3.13, the last one, uh, and I hope I didn't miss any. I think I got them all. But in chapter 3, verse 13, your words have spoken harsh against me. And that's what God says about them. Your words have spoken harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? So <clears throat> you can see how that happens throughout the book. This is the um, kind of the structure, the, the way that God is using Malachi to get to the people's hearts, hopefully, get to their minds, so that they will 
repent and come back to the Lord and do what's right. Do what the Lord has instructed them to do. Now, there's one more thing that really has jumped out to me personally in looking at Malachi. And if you go back to chapter 1, we'll take a quick glance at these. uh, And it is this. Note the name of the Lord, how it is emphasized. And I've got the same verse number up there because I wanted to indicate by that that it's found three times in those verses. Like in chapter 6, the Lord's name is found twice, or He brings up His name, the importance of His name. Chapter, or chapter 1, verse 11, three times, and so forth as we look at that. So if you look at it with me. The name of the Lord, chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? <clears throat> And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? Then look at verse 11, if you would, please. Malachi 1, verse 11. What a great verse we're about to read. From the rising of the sun, even to its setting, or even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And we know that that's ultimately fulfilled through the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't we? That as that gospel goes out to the nations and men, women, boys and girls believe the gospel that Jesus died for their sins, was buried, rose again on the third day, seen alive from the dead. That through that message, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, the gospel of God is sufficient to save the lost sinner, those who call upon him in faith and repentance. But we also look at verse 14 of chapter 1. Because in verse 14 he says, But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Going to chapter 2, verse 2. He says, If you will not hear, if you will not take it to heart, To give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts. I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I will have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. So, he talks about them taking it to heart, to give glory to my name. Well, we need to take it to heart, don't we? To give glory to the name of the Lord. And then we go from there to um, verse 5. Verse 5 of chapter 2. In verse 5 he says, My covenant was with him, one of life and peace. And I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. Just two more. Chapter 3, verse 16. Again, I hope I haven't missed any on this. This is a lovely verse we're about to read as well. In verse 16, he says, For those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. Think about your conversations when you re- after you read this verse. 
Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Verse 2 of chapter 4. This is the last one. It says, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. So that's uh, very important. If you want to do this and look at it at a later date, I'll give you an important scripture reference pertaining to the name of the Lord. You might know it already, but it's Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Now, there's a little bit around this that we could add to it, but I'm just going to give you that. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 tells us about what the name of the Lord means. Now, when you hear about somebody's name, the character of that person goes along with the name. So it's more than just a name. It is representative of that person's character. And when it's the name of the Lord, it is representative of his character. And what I'm telling you in Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is this tells us the character of God. What is found in Exodus Exodus 34, 6 and 7. All right. Last statement is this. Finally, Malachi leaves Israel with the promise of the coming of the Lord. The messenger of the covenant. Maybe I should have said with the messenger of the covenant and with the son of righteousness coming with healing in his wings. And then I remind you tonight that the one who would fulfill this is Jesus Christ, the son of God. The one for whom John the Baptist came making straight the way of the Lord and, and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The reason that kingdom was at hand is because the king was here. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that, that, that sermon is still applicable today for people who are lost in their sins to repent Because Jesus Christ has indeed come. We no longer wait for this one to come. We no longer wait for the coming of the Lord in His initial coming. We do wait for His return again one day. We no longer wait for the messenger of the covenant. For He has come and established the new covenant. And we no longer wait for the Son of Righteousness. For this one who has healing in His wings has indeed come. And His name is Jesus. And I pray tonight that you... Believe and trust in Him. With that, we will begin a reading of Malachi. Brother Les Wiggins is up first. Uh, Be reading chapter 1. And let's see, who's got chapter 2? John, that's you. And uh, chapter 3. Randy, you got chapter 3. And then uh, chapter 4. Brother Gentry will be coming to read chapter 4. And we'll try to read through this at a pretty steady pace, guys. Not to take too long uh, with it. But this would be a good uh, way for us to go ahead and get familiar together with the book of Malachi. Before they come, I'd like to pray for them, pray for the reading of the word. Let's go to the Lord together. Father, I thank you that we can open this holy book. It's holy Bible. It's the book of books. And 
read it now in our own language. While, Lord, it's easy for us to read the words, it is, it is not without your help that we understand it. So, Lord, we need the Spirit of God to enable us to understand or to have the mind of God and the mind of Christ. So, O oh Lord, please fill us with your Spirit and enable us to understand your Word. Lord, for any who are lost and don't have the Spirit of God, I pray that they would turn to the Son of Righteousness who has healing in His wings, who can heal them of their broken state, their dead state before You, and that they can be saved through Him. In Jesus' name, Amen. Brother Les, come on up and if you would begin our reading tonight. Beginning in chapter 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And laid waste his mountains, his heritage, for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. Verse 6. A son honors his father, a servant his master. If then I, the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? says the Lord of hosts. Do you priests who despise my name? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is corrupt. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Verse 9. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to this going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 12. But you profane it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick, thus you bring an offering. 
Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Chapter 2. And now, O priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread your refuge on your faces and the refuse of your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my commandment covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me, so he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. Verse 7. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way, you have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but you have shown partiality in the law. Verse 10, we have not all one father, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Verse 13, And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering any more, nor receive it with good will from your hands. Yet you say, For what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But he did, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says, that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, 
Where is the God of justice? Chapter 3 in the ESV reads thus. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him.
chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go go out leaping like calves from the stall. Verse 3. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Uh, Verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land land with a decree of utter destruction. All right, well, may the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Thank you all for being here tonight. We will conclude now with just a word of prayer. I'd like to ask Brother David if you'd please uh, pray us out in a prayer of dismissal tonight. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for uh, the study of Malachi and this introduction. And I just pray, God, you would use it um, to teach us and grow us in Christ. We just thank you, God, for your faithfulness through the ages that you do not change. And we rejoice and we trust in that as we Trust, God, as we go now, that you would lead us and guide us, direct us and grow us, Lord, in Christ, that you would be magnified in all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we think. And I pray, God, that you would be exalted not only here, but among the nations. We just rejoice and praise you for your word to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.